The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. In a world where men and women of mythic power jumped from the comic book page to the silver screen, sometimes two or as many as three times in what we call a trilogy, two men decided, hey... This really needs to be discussed. This is Totally Super. Alright, and hi, welcome to Totally Super. I am Arthur, and I have some bad news, unfortunately. So, Justin was watching uh, X-Men 3, The Last Stand, over the course of this week, and apparently it filled him into such a state of nerd rage that uh, he had an aneurysm right there on the spot. Uh, However... As we learned in the movie that we reviewed a few weeks ago, uh, The Crow, sometimes true love never dies. And his love for these beloved comic book characters that this movie so horribly destroyed basically summoned him as a revenant, a rage-filled, just anger-based person who is here back on Earth to wreak havoc on this film that he believes has wrecked uh, his beloved comic book characters. So, Justin, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Ugh. Wow, dude. Just yeah. the, You see, in improv, we have this concept called yes and, where, you know... Yes you, and. All right, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yes, <laughs> I'm here. And I want to And I want to warn everyone that uh, that usually, um, when it comes to profanity, um, we we make a point to, uh, to like, keep our language about the same level as the rating of the movie. So I might say the F word um, with the crow, but I will be doing a G rated podcast for the Incredibles that I can. I'm getting the sense this that this rule is not going to apply here. <laughs> I, I, if, if, if profanity is an issue for you, I would maybe skip this one. Cause uh, yeah. Um, Wow, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, it was. I'm, a, I'm detecting. It was, a lo- a, it was a great intro. I will tell you, it's a great intro. Um, here's the deal. There's no yes and left in me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's just beaten. There is nothing but darkness and pain. Um. Uh. Let me put it this way. I honored uh your your plan for the glorious opening, and also honored this movie by allowing you. <laughs> To give me a beautiful and wonderful opening <laughs> and then totally misunderstanding how that could be good. And I then absolutely and functionally ruined what you had been going for the whole time. Wow. So <laughs> Okay. I, I that, like that. So in that, in that way, spoilers as to what I thought of this film. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, is that is that your phone? Did your phone ding? Yeah, my phone. Hey, yeah, my phone. Maybe dinged. maybe that's the universe saying the film should be sucked into a deep dark hole. That's <laughs> that's, that's, that's astonishing. That's astonishing you. that you can interpret that from just two dings on a phone. It's amazing. It's like that moment in it's like that moment in Dead Poet Society. It's God. He says there shouldn't be X three. <laughs> so much to say. Um, All right, so I, I let so, me just say I'm really looking forward to our two minute uh, to our two minute synopsis here. Um, yeah. Uh, so before we get to it, um, we always like to talk about where we were and where we were with the with with uh, comic book movies at this point. Um, mm-hmm. 
there had been, uh, first of all, a, an enormous su- uh, an enormous success uh, with the second X Men movie. Um, it mm. had done uh, very well. Um, but then you started to have the explosion of uh, comic book movies are starting to happen at this point. Um, yeah. You have uh, Spider-Man has come out and Spider-Man um, really just knocked the socks out. You, like if you weren't there when it came out, it came out at the same time as the Star Wars movies. Um, and it was bigger in some in some ways. It came out in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still just before um Iron Man comes out, uh, which I believe the Iron here Man movie came out. The first Iron Man movie came out in 2008. So we're still two years before um, the MCU proper. But you do have Spider-Man going out at the same time. And that's a big deal. That's a big yeah. deal um, that, that Spider-Man has raised the game and is competing with Star Wars. Keep in mind, when the first X-Men came out, it was low budget. There's a reason that the, that the climax of that movie happens in a gift shop. Because they it was proof of concept. Afford much else, yeah. Um. Uh. So second one comes out. Uh. And and delivers what everybody's looking for. Except, um. It's safe to say while the while the drama is good and the action, um. As it relates to the to the drama is good. The spectacle of what a superhero movie could be. Just wasn't there. I mean, Spider-Man came out and said, hey, we can have you swing through the city. We can make it be that when you're watching, you as the audience member gets the sense. I mean, the, the, what Spider-Man managed to do with spectacle was just mm-hmm. not fully there with the second X-Men movie. So the big the, the big idea was, was, can we do a superhero movie? I'm down with that. Um, yeah. Brett Ratner. Uh, uh, we'll get to Brett Ratner. Sorry, uh, Brian Singer, um, but two very problematic individuals this time. Again, do your Google homework. Um, mm-hmm. Brian Singer uh, had been given the opportunity after the success of the second X Men movie to jump ship from from Fox Marvel, and really, this was Marvel at the at this point. There was not there was not Iron Man. Um, so yeah. this and Spider Man is all is all you got. Um, got the opportunity to uh, to go do a DC movie, Superman Returns, um, which we will talk about one day. Um, a movie not without its problems, but a movie that is uh, that that really is about whether or not it succeeds or fails is about honoring the movies that came before it. Specifically, Superman it is a movie with a ton of heart. It is a movie with a ton of heart. A ton of heart and a ton of honor towards Superman one and two to the point where they use the same titles and they use the same music and they they really, really, really want to honor the two movies that came before it. Um, so they said, OK, we've made uh, we, we've made some some real uh, heartfelt uh, allegories for racism and homophobia. Um, uh, we've called back to Auschwitz. We've we've really done some stuff to 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 bring your to to, to bring your superheroes uh, out of the campy world and into a real heartfelt political world. Who should we get to do that? And someone said, "What about the guy who made the Rush Hour trilogy?" Let's get that guy. Let's get the guy <laughs> that thought it was really funny to to have Jackie Chan and and Chris Tucker um, make fun of each other's racial stereotypes. Let's just get that guy. That guy's good. Um, and thus we have the last stand. I was so excited about this movie. Um, this movie is, uh, I want to say based on, but not really, um, the uh, the Dark Phoenix saga. 
Um, wherein like, uh, barely. I'm sorry, barely. It is it, the only way in which it is actually based on the Dark Phoenix saga, in which is Jean Dark Grey. Phoenix, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, well, it's not even the Dark Phoenix that we know. It's Jean Grey. It's in that Jean Grey has a whole bunch of power, and for some reason, she calls herself Phoenix. That is, that is literally yeah. the only the only similarities. I'm um, down with that. No, that that is not something that I have a problem with because we have grounded this in the real world. There has so X Men has a whole um, cosmic. Uh, aspect to it you know that's that's the mm-hmm. right now in 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 uh like guardians of the galaxy and stuff like that you have uh um a lot of marvel cosmic going on and you didn't uh before the avengers that was not something you even really thought about was was the cosmic so you feel this marvel. was a de- this was a decent way to bring in the concept of the phoenix saga without having to bring in ooh, a big space creature well yeah because the thing is is that you have you have the basic concept that everybody always references. The good guy gets too much power. The power corrupts them to the point where they're evil. And then they have to fight the other good guys until finally the strength of their personality personality wins out. And most of the time they have to die, to die but not always. So when it happens to Willow mm-hmm. on Buffy, you clearly go, okay, they're doing Dark Phoenix. Like, like yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a trope now. That's Dark Phoenix of, has become sort of a trope namer. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's that's that's the thing. Um, this uh, the Dark Phoenix saga in the comics culminated in X Men one thirty seven, uh, wherein uh, the story of the. Do you mind if I do the story of the Phoenix? No, go ahead. Uh, the where wherein uh, it goes back further. <laughs> I was going to say, well, somebody uh, might as well. The movie certainly didn't. Yeah, uh, in in the comics, what happens is essentially the uh, the Sentinels attack uh, while the X Men are on the moon, I believe, um, or asteroid M, one of the two, and they have to escape to Earth. But the shuttle that they're on is uh, just not going to make it, and Jean Grey decides to use all of her strength to hold it together. In failing to do so, but with the amount of passion that she's putting out to the universe, she is contacted by a creature called the Phoenix, which binds itself to her and amplifies her power a million fold. Um, and she saves the X-Men. Now, at the time that it came out, it was still Jean, um, but the power of the Phoenix was just too much for her to handle. She goes nuts. She wipes out a solar system, destroys a planet, um, and then uh, comes back to Earth, angry at perceived injustices. Um, she eventually uh, gets taken into space to be executed. She agrees to submit to it um, in order to save the X-Men uh, as the good gene comes forth, but the bad gene is about to come out again. And at the last moment, uh, she commits suicide in front of uh, in front of Scott, um, who uh, who screams out. He screams, Gene, Gene Scott. It's this very like like powerful and very famous moment. It was later revealed mm-hmm. in the comics that um, the actual gene was cocooned and Phoenix is sort of a, a copy of her and then at that point the phoenix force goes back out into space and the real gene um eventually comes out of the cocoon and is back to the sort of the powers of x-men 2 level of gene but the mm-hmm. phoenix force is connected to her and occasionally pops its head back in from time to time and that then it gets all con- convoluted but that's basically the idea the main thrust being good guy gets powerful goes bad Fights everybody else because that's always fun. You That's always fun, right? To watch the good guy go bad and has to fight everyone. That's a fun like trope. I love that. 
Um, I, I don't know if uh, fun is the right word for it. It's an effective and it's an effective and often well used trope. It's it's not fun. Yeah, it's a, it's, for me, it, but yeah, it's you know it's a it's a great you know like season four thing to do. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so so I'm. I'm down with the fact that they they didn't want to do all the Marvel cosmic stuff at this point. That's not really what the what the the series had been about. Um, I was so excited that Gene was coming back. I was so excited they were going to be doing it. Um, the trailers showed action. Uh, that showed uh, stuff that we had never seen. I was so excited to get into theaters to watch this oddly named X Men: The Last Stand. Um, I thought X2 was a bad name. X-Men United. This is just the worst name. I don't know what it's the last stand of, but okay. Um, uh, it also incorporates um, different aspects of of the comics. We'll get to it. Um, we introduced sort of the Morlocks a little bit. Maybe Callisto, sort of. Um, and, uh, and hey, let's throw in an internet meme that we'll get to as well. Um, but uh, but that's where we are. Now, before we start our discussion, I want to ask your permission to go ahead and give the synopsis, and then we can get going. Okay, wait just a second. Let me get the stopwatch going. Oh, you get oh the two minute stopwatch. Hey, okay, I'll give you the five second synopsis. Here we go. Ready? Ready? All right, and here we go. Go go. In X Men: The Last Stand, Brett Ratner pulls down his pants and takes a poop on the X Men franchise. And six right. seconds, seventy six point seventy one seconds, a new record. Okay, no. Um there is a uh there is a cure um for mutants. Uh it's discovered that a uh, a mutant child named Leech uh secretes a certain uh enzyme that can be modified into uh, a cure that can either be given or weaponized that when it strikes a mutant immediately gets rid of their powers and that uh causes all sorts of um problems within mutant communities. Some mutants like Rogue think that it's a way for her to get rid of the mutation that is so hard for her, while other mutants such as Magneto thinks that it's just one step to the eventual Elimination of mutants. Uh, enter Hank McCoy, played by Kelsey Grammer, who is uh, the most respected mutant on the planet, able to function within the government, uh, but can't do it any longer because he feels that the government is betraying what mutant kind is all about. In the meantime, over at Alkali Lake, uh, Jean Grey has arisen from the dead. Uh, she uh, inexplicably has powers that she didn't have before. And how do we know this? Because of a prelude uh, where Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy doing their best imitations of. Uh, uh, no, really, it really is uh, Patrick Stewart and uh, and Ian McKellen <laughs> uh, go and meet Jean Grey, a uh, an Omega class uh, mutant who can lift all the cars on her street uh, if she tries. Um, yes, that powerful girl grew up to be Jean, and Jean is back from the dead. Scott senses it, goes out to see her, and dies, we are pretty sure, off camera um, in a way that we never get to see. Um, mm -hmm. the For reasons that we don't quite ever figure out. For reasons that we don't quite ever figure out, Scott, uh, Scott dies uh, because Jean meant to i guess um uh, now let's be scott died becomes james uh scott died because james marsden wanted to go work on superman returns with brian singer yes that's right um uh so we uh so we get back to the x mansion and and they uh they examine gene and find out that she's got these two things working back and forth within her joint uh, rogue goes out to get her uh powers removed because the the 
growing romance between Bobby and Kitty Pride. Um, at the same time, uh, Magneto uh, has gotten all of the mutants together, the underground mutants, sort of like the Morlocks in the comics, but not really, uh, to go hang out in the woods um, and have Burning Man for a little while uh, until finally, um, and stuff happens that we can talk about, um, but uh, but Gene kills uh professor x for reasons and wolverine falls to the ground and weeps um and then for reasons uh magneto carries the golden gate bridge across to alcatraz island where all of this is where the leech mutant is and all the x-men show up and for reasons the battle is the stupidest battle of all time um an internet meme is quoted um magneto is hit by uh is hit by the thing he doesn't have powers but then sort of he does um and then finally gene who can rip wolverine apart is unable to because of his unbelievably powerful healing factor um and uh and she asks him to kill her which he does and uh everything comes to a close um and then we get a post-credit scene where professor xavier's mind is in an empty body the end <laughs> yes although to their credit they did they did they did set up Chekhov's corpse with that um, they did. That, uh, they did. Yeah, they set up Chekhov's Moira McTaggart too. You know, um, mm-hmm. um, it's not good, guys. <laughs> it's not good. Um, where where would you like to start? <laughs> well, I think I'm going to have to start something which I think is going to just it's going to uh, well at at its best deeply confuse you. I think at its worst possibly sends you into despair and dismay. This movie bothered me a whole lot less upon my second viewing of it. Why? <laughs> I don't get it. I'm sorry. I don't understand. I don't understand how because, this could possibly be true. Well, because I was – because most of the things that were bad about it I remembered from the first viewing so that I was ready for them and had already just sort of accepted, okay, these are the things that didn't work. So I was able to watch all the other stuff. And what I saw, what I took away from this was a movie that was, if you saw it out of context from the other films, it was fine. It had some stuff that was good. It had some stuff that was bad. It had a lot of things in it that as I was watching, I was thinking, oh, if they had just done this instead, this would have been much more effective. Um, My biggest critique of this film is everything having to do with Jean Grey. The entire Dark Phoenix saga was, I think, the big flaw in this. Just about everything having to do with the plot of The Cure, I really dug. Um, I thought that it continued the very important and ambiguous discussion of that they started in X-Men 1 of, well, yes – we want yes, mutant no, rights all- are good, and 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 no, it's bad to be genocidal. But at the same time, there's two sides to this. You know, it's that thing of liberty versus security. The cure added you, this I'll whole. I'll give you that the cure, the cure plot is the best part of the of the film. Certainly, the cure, the cure part is is the part of the film that I that I was pretty much fine <laughs> with. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's it, it's fine. 
It's it's yeah, uh, it's, the, and I can see why Rogue is the person for that. I like what Rogue has to do in this film a lot better than what she has to do in the last one, which is mostly just mm-hmm. tag along. She answers uh, uh well cuz really she becomes a hero. She becomes a hero that because she is willing to take the cure, what it tells us is that the you know, so the question that the movie raised, one of the questions the movie raised is was it a good or a bad thing that this mutant quote unquote cure was created? And to its credit, the film doesn't answer that. Um, that is one of those great questions um, that there are multiple sides to. And by having Rogue take the cure and having her life demonstrably get better for it, um, even if we only see it briefly at the end, or seeing her definitely happier. At the end, we do see that, you know, there's there's multiple aspects to this. It isn't just the, oh, no, the mutants need to wipe out the cure because that's how they're going to weaponize and control us. All right. So, um, so I will say this. I'm not going to give the film credit for not answering the question because it's not like they gave you two answers to the question. They didn't really kind of tell. It's not like they left you thinking about the question. They just dropped the question. They're like, ah, forget it. No, ah, forget it. it Here, me- here's some explosions. Like, uh, to a certain degree. Like, it le- I, what, no, here's the thing. Just by raising the question, they left me thinking about it. Um, the movie sure. could have been wrapped up much better. But the way that they ra- the way in which they raised the question, I found to be pretty effective. The uh, not just because first there were the, there were the multiple layers of it. At first, it was look. Of course, this is just going to be voluntary. But then they end up weaponizing it. Um, so of course all the bad mutant, you know, or some mutants are like, you see, they turned it into a weapon. They lied when they said it was going to be voluntary. On the other hand, it's sort of like the, well, if this is a defense against evil mutants, can you blame them for wanting to do that? Like, is it worse to just shoot somebody in the head if they're a mutant with a real bullet, or is it worse to just shoot them with something that leaves them alive, but strips them of their mutant powers? Like what is the... Where do those things fall on the ethical sure. scale? I mean, I mean, let, let me let me let me come out down on the side of no, it it's worse to shoot them in the head, right? Because they're dead at that point. But forcing your will on someone else because of how they were born, still awful. Like, yes, mm-hmm. giving them yeah. the option to have the cure, calling it a cure. You know, you know, if mm-hmm. like it's it's I, I get it. I get it. And I it get a, what they're going for. It's a it's, it's a saddeningly it is, gray area. It is it is the the most thoughtful part of the film. I think the film isn't actively interested in you and you thinking about that too much. I think it, it throws I think it throws a little lip service at it. You know, it'd be one thing if you know if Rogue's primary issue, right? Rogue's primary issue wasn't that that Iceman is is kind of being a like kind of being dickish. Like he's he's kind of spending too much time with kitty um and it's and it's it's literally a a 90210 level um you know it's a 90210 level like love triangle where mm-hmm. where kitty is so insensitive and and bobby is so ins- insensitive and rogue doesn't talk you know i had this problem often when i like talk you know about the show friends right I can't watch the show Friends because most of the time the problems raised on the show Friends would be solved if anybody even ever said one word to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just nobody talks and Rogue's like, I could talk to Bobby and tell him how I'm feeling or I could go stand in line and get the mutant cure. 
Like it's, it's, it would be one thing if she was having a, you know, I really think this is what's best, but I don't even know if I agree with her choice because she's clearly okay. Well, let's, re- let's start talking about, let's start talking about the, the issue of the love triangle. Um, yeah, let's on do the, that. because I think the, the concept of using Rogue's relationship with Bobby to be the thing that really instigates her into thinking, all I want to do is hold hands with the, with my boyfriend, with the person that I love, I, that necessitates me going to get this cure. If executed correctly, I think is, would have been a perfectly valid and functional story idea. Um, I agree with you. It's just a shame there wasn't a scene in the last movie where he kissed her and then she, and then she blew out the, the ice. That's a good point, you know, indicating that she – I think, granted, I think it would have been far more interesting for Rogue overall over the course of this trilogy to have eventually learned to control her powers, you know, to be able to control some degree of it. Um, or it would have right, that's certainly where they – that, If she never had That's certainly where they were going time. in X2. Because in the comics – if she accidentally brushes her skin against you, you drop like you've been hit, like like hit in the head with a bullet. There isn't a little tiny touch and and you're okay. She touches you for a few seconds and you're okay. It's like it's like it is it is the if she brushes her skin against yours, you drop like a sack of potatoes. And then that also would have worked and ma- to make it more but, extreme. But instead, it's like hey, if they both really try. She can kiss him from time to time. She can get, she can't make out with him. She can give him a little kiss, you know, and, but Mm -hmm. you don't see them have that discussion. You just have it be that Bobby's paying attention to Kitty now. Yeah. So really what you have is that could be, that could be seen as a flaw in both films. Then Um, I'll tell you, I think that, let me tell, talk about the scene of this love triangle that bothered me the most and how I would have fixed it. Um, All right. So after so after Xavier's funeral, uh, Rogue is uh, not sorry, not Rogue. Kitty is in a room. And by the way, overall, I liked Kitty Pride a lot in this. Um, I like the, Ellen Page. I like Ellen, Ellen Page. Yeah, Ellen Page was a, Ellen Page was a good choice for the role. Um, I, I so hate Kitty Kitty's, Pride in this film. I, okay. I just I lo- I love Ellen Page and I love her personality, but you know, like. This is someone else's boyfriend. You know, it's it's, it's clearly she knows what she's doing. Uh, anyway, go on. Why do you love her? All right. So, ah. um, so Kitty is in her room. Bobby comes and finds her, which means that he has essentially been looking for her, uh, which definitely says something about Bobby and his, you know, and his uh, state of mind. Um, you know, she, Kitty says, uh, you know, I just miss. Um, you know, I just missed, ho- I just miss home. Uh, and then an incredibly obvious setup line, you know, you know, like the first snow, um, for one thing, they're in New York. It snows they're in, in Western New York. New York. I know. I know. Yeah. They're um, in Western New York. <laughs> so, so Bobby then says, okay, here, come on outside. And she's like, oh no, we might get in trouble. And he's like, well, Hey, you can walk through walls or something like that. Takes her outside and turns the fountain into a ice rink. And then they skate for a little while. Now, as that scene is, I agree with you. It essentially says that whole thing about Bobby insisting that, no, he's not trying to get with Kitty. Yeah, this is pretty much, I mean, at its best, 
I could see Bobby falling victim to the thing that a lot of us guys fell victim to, um, you know, early on. And some people still have to learn, which is that just because just because there's no physical contact with someone doesn't mean that like, OK, I, I should preface this. I do not agree with uh, Vice President Pence's idea that you should never have dinner with a woman who's not your wife. That is crazy talk. Um, Sure. But there are certain kinds of emotional connections that are still, while not cheating, are still betrayals of trust to the relationship. Uh, There's a wonderful line in Boston Legal. Uh, where Alan Shore is really sad because he said, I just found my, I just found my girlfriend laughing with another guy. And obviously the line of that is not saying, uh, oh, you know, you should never be able to laugh or have fun. He's not saying that people of different sexes shouldn't be able to be just friends with each other. Uh, but what it is hinting to is that when it comes to betraying trust in relationships, it's not just physical. If you are spending all your time, if you are seeing one girl, but then choosing to spend all your time with another girl, um, going to her room to seek her out to try to make her feel better, when you could in fact be going to your girlfriend's room to make sure that she's feeling okay, it doesn't matter if you try to kiss that second girl or not. There is something broken in that dynamic. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's talk. That let's is, talk about this. First of all, first of all, let's talk about its placement in the movie because. The corpse is, if there was a corpse, it's not even cold. Like, we're, we are, are we spending time thinking about the effect of the death? Are we doing a montage? You know, we're doing a Buffy style, you know, whole episode long, you know, treaties on the, on the effect of the death of the most important mutant who's ever existed. No, no. What we're doing is a love triangle. So first of all, like like let's undercut where our feelings should be and put That's them interesting because I actually felt I actually felt that adequate consequence was given to Xavier's death. But continue. Um so well the, the I I didn't feel that way at all. Xavier is super important. Mm-hmm. But beyond that. Now let's imagine in this hypothetical situation, right? Let's say let's say uh you and I both had a that you and I and let's say uh your wife and my wife we all had a a mutual friend who's older than the rest of us and and who died and we were all went to his funeral and then we were all like at the same hotel, right? Can you imagine mm-hmm. a situation where without talking to you about it first, I took your wife out and not just like for dinner but then this is the night after after this has happened and you're still all broken up about it. I took your wife out and I took her out ice skating. In what world? In what world is that remotely appropriate to go do that? What and I found her in her room, by the way. I knocked on her room, knock, 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 knock. Mm-hmm. Hey, come out with me. Let's go ice skating. Don't tell Arthur. I know you're sad. I know he's just as sad as you, but let's spend some time on you. <laughs> like <laughs> let's like, work on you for a moment um on, so here's where i, I think sure that, that you uh, uh, i i agree with you on that and here's where i think the situation could have been made why the hell marginally is better movie too anyway sorry go on go yeah um here's how i think they could have done that in a way that was marginally better you don't have rogue in her room uh sorry uh, you don't have kitty in her room she is out on the grounds at night just 
crying on a bench or something, um, you know, dealing with the professor's death. Bobby comes walking along or something. So Bobby does not seek her out. They encounter each other outside with the simple thing of you can't, you know, just a sudden discovery of, oh, hey, you can't sleep either. No, I can't sleep either. You know, they spend a couple moments talking about the professor. Um, she says something about it. Uh, you know, so she's, so let's even say that, you know, like I miss snow, I miss home. I miss the first snow. All Bobby needs to do ignoring that, that they're moment in New York. is, <laughs> yeah, ignoring that they're in New York. Yeah. Let's, let's leave that. But so the fountain is going or something. All need Bobby needs to do is just take, is just with a, um, is just take some of those, you know, water drops from the fountain as they're spraying, turn them into snowflakes or something. So we have a nice little moment. That's all it takes for him to turn and say, Hey, this can be your home too. And then yeah. she smiles and says, thanks. And then he gets up and leaves. Now, here's the thing. In that, that is not nearly as much of a betrayal on Bobby's part. That is arguably just, hey, there's this person who is my friend who is having this moment that I just encountered who, um, you know, and let's say, and Kitty says, thanks so much. And they hug. All of that is completely, ignoring the rest of the movie, uh, ignoring Bobby for the rest of the movie if it were that scene, that is completely above board. But if Rogue was watching from a window, she could still see, ah, oh, Bobby just had a moment with somebody and it finished with a hug. It would still function as a way to motivate Rogue to say, I want to be able to touch people. And then you extend the, the same- scene. You, you extend the scene where Bobby backs away and still has his hands on Kitty's arms. And Kitty's like, and, and, and Kitty's like how's Rogue doing? He's like, he's like, I don't know. I'm worried about her. You know, we really need to be there for Mm -hmm. her now. And like, and you go like the two of them are like talking from Rogue's point of view, they're commiserating Mm -hmm. from in real life. They're talking about how important it is to take care of her. But none of that's there. So instead. Yeah. So so that is the way. So this is what was wrong. That's that that was one way to fix it. We have a scene that that ignores the importance of Xavier's death by having Bobby inexplicably seek out another woman in her in her room to take her out on a date for Rogue to for Rogue to watch because she's so sad that there's no snow in New York. (laughs) (laughs) There's no snow in New York. I mean, and and even that thing, that's a detail, right? The, the the New York thing. In order for me to really enjoy a movie, I like to like kind of forget that I'm watching it. You want to forget, you know, you, you want to be drawn into the world there. And even things like the fact that she misses the first snow and they're in New York, that's, I, that's distracting. What that tells me is that as a writer, is that a writer came up with the idea of Oh, hey, you know what would be really cool? He's Iceman. So let's have a moment of them just sort of like ice skating on the fountain because that, you know, that captures childhood innocence. There's, you know, there's, a, I mean, it, there's, a no, there's a Norman Rockwellian heart to that image. And so he I shoehorned it in. I can see how this, this, this movie is interested in giving you moments instead of giving Without, you... Yes, the story or characters or the moments. Or the moments are not motivation. The moments are not earned. They are forced in. Let's talk about the first awesome thing they try and do, where they fight the Sentinels in the Danger Room. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Wolverine has to light up a cigar while he's there because he's cool and he's Wolverine. You know how you say you don't like Wolverine? This is the Wolverine I don't like. Zone, you know, I they, noticed like, that the this this no, this Wolverine was much more stereotypical. I'm cocksure and hey, Bub. So this cool. was Bub yeah, Wolverine. Yeah. yeah. So 
the, the you know, they have rogue's powers again they work for colossus you know you know protects rogue uh by touching her for a second so she absorbs his power for a second then it goes away her powers never worked like that before and it will never work like that since but hey let's just use her power that way now because hey rules don't matter then there's this mm-hmm. forced conflict between you know there's a thing that happens and i've seen this um you know especially when you watch episodic television i've seen this uh on the show arrow sometimes where i feel like the director has said to them, get your lines out fast so we can keep out, keep up pacing. It's all about pacing. And I get that sense when mm-hmm. Wolverine's talking to Storm afterward, where they're just getting their lines out, trying to do as fast as they can. Bah, 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 bah. Oh, da, 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 da. And it's just like, it, it doesn't, there's no heft or weight to anything or realism to anything they're saying. There's, it's a forced conflict about how he's not a great teacher. Uh, and then he meets Scott and Scott's like, rah, I don't like him. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and just like, like, it's just everything that seemed to be motivated in the last film, nothing is motivated. Let's talk about Scott. Um, okay. Scott's let's. Just- I will say, just in terms of, you know, I'm going to be – the dynamic that I can already feel we're going for in this is like, look, so here's the thing. First off, right off the bat, I agree with you. This is the worst of the trilogy by a long margin. All that yeah. being said – uh, because you are I, – because I believe – like the whole thing of this is why you should hate this film, you've got that covered. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be pointing out – I'm going to be pointing out the – like the – you know, as we say that – what actually worked sure. in this film? Because there were a few things. Okay. Um, I remember in the theater when I was watching it, the Sentinel fight in the danger room, that was pretty cool. The I thought it was a – it was a nice way of throwing the fastball special in without making it too obvious. Um, or not, not too obvious, but without making it too much of a, Hey kids here, look at this. You like the fastball special. So here it is. Um, by the way, why could he not have just said fastball special? Like they clearly they practiced before. That's what they're in there doing. So he gets a fastball special. He does and it's done. Uh, well that actually, that's the thing. I got the sense that when he, when he asked Colossus, when he asked Colossus, Hey, how's your arm? I got the sense that that was the first time that they were trying that. Um, yeah. Now, what would have been? Fine. I didn't well, mind. Again, here's how they could have made it better: is because at the end they fastball special again. Um, what they needed, what they could have done in that after that was, you know, just a little scene. Hey, that was a pretty cool move or something. Yeah, like you know, so and then like you know maybe named it. So then at the end, all it would have taken was Wolverine to look at Colossus and say fastball special and going that way, but. So, yes, yeah, Scott and his depression beard. Yeah, and suddenly he's a bad teacher who doesn't do the things he's supposed to do. And Xavier can't reach him. He's not in any kind of therapy. Um, and he goes out to find Jean on Alkali Lake because um, it's, you know, he decides in what I guess is winter because she misses the first snow to ride his motorcycle to Canada. By himself. Well, I got the sense that she was he was clearly hearing her calling to him. Yeah. Um, and and so he goes out there and she's there and they they give us the moment from the comics where she holds back the optic blasts. Um and then and then she kills him. Accidentally, yeah, on okay, purpose, so we're, we're not sure. Yeah, this is this is a moment with the film I have so many problems with. Uh first and foremost. No motivation for her killing him whatsoever. That's it's second and second most. Like, the first and foremost is that you don't kill a main character off screen. 
Yes, I would. I would have made that second and second most, but I completely agree with you. That is the other, and also you especially don't kill a main character off screen and then deliberately leave uncertainty as to whether or not the character is dead. Um, that is anti-checkoffing. That is when when you make it when you make a character's death so vague like that. Like I think she killed Scott. Maybe we don't know. Um, but it's not kind of a cool. We don't know. Let's be clear. It's not a. Did she or didn't she? We we're gonna have to investigate that and find out. Mm-hmm. No, it's just yeah. like the the film. Well, it will never be asked. It will never be answered. Nobody cares. Yeah, like Scott, they now, care about the Scott thing. being you dead can, for a second. I'm not saying that if you if you if you create an uncertain situation as to did this main character live or die in this moment. 90% of the time, the answer is going to be, no, they lived. And here's this quick flashback showing how to, you know, it's Giles with the axe in season five of Buffy. Uh, sorry, season seven of Buffy. Um, now, I'm not saying that that other 10% of the time where, no, in fact, the character did die, that also can work. But what you need to do then is after you set up the uncertainty is you need to have the reveal of, no, they actually died in a very powerful way that is very meaningful to the characters in that moment. And that completely did not happen here. It was just, uh, we think Scott's dead, and then we kind of forget about Scott, and then at the end we see a gravestone, and we're like, well, I guess he's dead. But hey, that's okay. Let's just have Wolverine go hang out with Jean Grey. You know, Dr. Wolverine, why is Wolverine in that room? And who's taking care of Jean? Like, hey, here's Jean Grey. She's back from the dead. Let's just leave her in the basement. <laughs> let's just leave her there. Wolverine can yeah. hang out with her. Hey, and Wolverine, let's totally make out with her. Notice how he's like totally into making out with her until he thinks that she's out of control. Like, until he thinks that 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 maybe she's not actually Jean. He's totally down for it. And not just like a mm-hmm. passionate kiss that he has to pull himself away from. Like, they would have totally done it if he thought that mm-hmm. she was, you know, down with their senses and like again what a dick wolverine like seriously yeah what a jerk you are that one honestly like, that one i could almost see just because wolverine really like at, at least the dynamic they have set up in these films is wolverine legitimately does not like cyclops at all um it's it doesn't not matter it's though not it's sort of like a, he's still an honorable dude like when like cyclops was alive he was like she chose you like he was still an honorable yeah, dude. That's, that's part of who he is. Like mm-hmm. this is uh but no, then she beats him around for a while with her power and then uh, then some stuff happens and then she goes Okay, so to- so here's the thing about here's how they tried to make Dark Phoenix work in this one in that essentially um so even the concept of the professor saw that she was super powerful and put controls into her mind in order to to keep that in check. From a story perspective, A, um, I think that's totally good because, again, especially since he talks about there's a dialogue in there when he's teaching the class and he's thinking about the ethics uh, and he's talking about how, what are the ethics of using this kind of power. Like, so it raises this question, did he do the right thing? Um, especially because... I forget exactly what character it was, but that is an actual storyline in the X-Men comics. Professor Xavier had done this with kids before, and it really came back to bite him hard. Um, the So that aspect of it, again, 
execution not great, story concept was okay. Um, but the way that he described it is, you know, then she became the split personality and the Phoenix personality was just this character, was just this person of desire and joy and rage, essentially splitting her into her id and her ego. Um, although I forget which is which. I think it is the one that's just pure desire and the ego is the yeah. one that's like, whoa, slow down there. Um, well, the, the ego so is the, ethos, the thing. It's the super ego, but either way, yeah. Yeah. So that moment with Wolverine is literally the only time that we see Jean Grey being ruled by her id. What does she want in that moment? She's filled with lust. She wants a moment with Wolverine. And so she says, I want this. I'm going to take it. I'm going to make it happen. No one's going to stop me. The rest of the time, she's just dark and sullen. There is nothing about her for the rest of the film that indicates uh, that indicates desire or joy in any way. She is like a she is like a dull Frankenstein's monster that is occasionally yeah. switched on. Well, hey, guess what this dull Frankenstein's monster does? She goes to her childhood home, where Magneto shows up with his new like people that he's captured like oh we, we forgot the whole moment with uh mystique so hey let's uh let's undo her okay character. let's talk about that yeah let's talk so about mystique, how they complete let's Myst- talk about the moment of completely changing magneto's character yeah they so so mystique is uh so so mystique is captured um along with other dangerous mutants and magneto who is now taking control of the uh morlocks um who are just terrible they're just crappy mutants like the guy, the, the the guy from Lost is like like spiky face, you know. There's some that you might recognize, like Callisto from, but they, they're just crappy. Um, and he decided to take over all the crappy mutants, and he goes with some crappy mutants, uh, to to go rescue Mystique, and he turns over a truck in a way that'll be done much much better later when the Dark Knight comes out. And and he breaks in, he gets Mystique, and Mystique is accidentally hit with the cure. Or not accidentally, she's shot with the cure, which immediately... Yeah, because somebody... It's, and again, Mystique, in a great moment of sacrifice, actually, which shows... It's, they do great service to Mystique's character in this, because the guy is clearly aiming at Magneto. She throws herself in the way and takes the, and takes the, the hit. Yeah, and so she turns human, and he's like, I'm sorry, my dear, you're not one of us anymore. Blah, yeah, blah, blah, which blah. I mean, I, and, and, and tell me, tell me your thought on this because even me watching it as somebody, I to me, at least going both with comics and with the the Magneto that we've seen for the previous two films, that seemed that choice to say, "Oh, you're not a mutant anymore." Hey, you did that because you were sacrificing yourself for me. Nah, I'm not going to honor all of that. You're dead to me. That seems very much against the Magneto that we have come to know. Sure, um, yeah. She should become the poster child for the victimization of regular humans while people are trying to figure out a way to undo it for her. But he's like, no. Exactly. You know, I could see him I could see him saying, We are we I am not going to rest until I figure out how to get you back. Like Yeah. But no. It's they made like, they bye. made Magneto in the first two films, he was wonderfully as he is in the comic, a wonderfully ambiguous villain. In this one, they clearly were just like, no, we want him to be the bad guy. Like at the end, in the last stand, when he says, when he sends all the mutants in, he says a bunch of mutants in first to get mowed down. And oh, wait, essentially no, no. he Can says, we talk that's about why that when the time chest- comes. I want to talk about them when the time okay. comes because that's, that's sure. a thing. That's a mm-hmm. thing. Um, that's a thing. That's a thing. 
Um, uh, anyway, yeah. So he's he. So that happens, and then he goes into the woods, and 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 Jean goes with him for reasons, I guess. Like mm-hmm. she's with him now. She's like, hey, I'm gonna be your second fiddle. That's my job is to stand next to you to make you look powerful. I guess. Yeah. Is the thing, and and mm-hmm. there's. Jean is uh, here's what it's she is she, I don't even the Phoenix I saw character. Last week, I I, I want to say the words and then some stuff happens with Angel. I don't really know what that is. I kind of I, I saw the movie yeah, a week ago and what is happening with him? The, it, Angel is again. It was another wonderful storyline that had they given an additional five minutes more to his character would have been fine. But because Angel was a storyline that they half-assed. And therefore, it would have been better if they had not included it at all. Yeah, I mean, I Angel does was a storyline that they were nothing. like, "Hey, we need another mutant for a toy." So here's Angel. Yeah, it feels very much like that. It feels very yeah. much like that. So, so let's be clear: we're now at about two thirds through the movie. We have betrayed Magneto's character. We've misused Angel. We've turned Wolverine boring. We've uh, we've um, turned Rogue's plight into a a a love triangle by assassinating the characters of both Kitty and Bobby. Um, However, surrounded, we, we put Jean as second fiddle. Oh, we, Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. We, we forgot to talk about, uh, about Xavier's actual death. Shall we? Yeah. Well, well, but first, but before you get into that, you're talking about how all the characters that have been ruined, I need to say, at least from my perspective, however, the one character, well, two things, actually. Uh, first, I actually liked Storm a lot more in this than I did in the previous two, but I think that is largely because I don't really think they did Storm any service in the previous two. Um, this was the I first like Storm film where except I for saw one her. Thing. Can you guess? Can you guess what thing I hate about Storm that they do over and over and over again? Something stupid and ridiculous. Go ahead, see if you can figure it out. Um, nope. <laughs> your hate, your hatred touches on so many things. I couldn't, it would be, it would be finding a pebble in a vast ocean. The, 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 the twirly moves that Storm does, the twirly in the way, the, the spin like a top move. It's dumb. It's Oh dumb. yeah. It's unnecessary. Yeah. Everything that Storm could do and you can have her spin like a top so that she can punch people in the face while she's spinning around real fast. That's her move. Uh, yeah, uh, that makes sense. That's not that that doesn't go with her power set. It's dumb. Um, it's but dumb. the the character who I really do feel like they nailed was Hank McCoy. I sure, yeah. He's I great. remember when they when they cast Kelsey Grammer as Beast. I thought that is perfect casting. Um, and even in the fight at the end, while it was a little bit sort of lack it, like the special effects and the CGI weren't quite there yet, I did like the. The the movements that I were seeing did echo the way that Beast fights on the comic book pages. Like no, I loved um, it. I wish he was a little bit more of like a scientist, scientist. Like he is, like he's as know, opposed to a diplomat. Yeah, yeah. He's he's Donatello, but I'm down with it. The 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 character the character is they got they got him right. You know, I'll tell I'll I'll, yeah. I'll give you that they got him right. Um, mm-hmm. and but I will right. also give it give you that that's like the one character, the one. So yeah, so they kill Xavier again. Uh, Xavier's there and, and he lets himself die. I guess he's, uh, I don't know why they have to kill him. I, it's, I guess it's supposed I, to be the tur- turning point in the film. I feel almost I nothing. I think the reason when it happened, I think Gene's reason for that is, um, I, I, I feel like the reason why Gene killed him in that moment was because, or as the Phoenix, essentially it's, 
he was the one thing that was holding her back and was now and was now saying again and again, no, I still want to hold you back. Um, especially with Eric also in the room, essentially saying all he wants to do is hold you back. From a motivational perspective of the of the Phoenix character at that moment, I saw it being um I, it was a justified story choice for the character. I don't know if it worked as well. Like, again, I don't know if the execution was great. Um, where it fell in the film, I don't know if it worked as well. Um, but it, at least, unlike with Scott, I at least could figure out the reason why Phoenix wanted Xavier dead. Yeah. I kind of, I guess. I mean, it, it's it's not even 100% clear to me whether she intentionally kills him or accidentally kills him. Um, mm. it's, you know, the, the, again, the fight in the house is certainly, you know, destructive, I guess I wouldn't call it exhilarating, but it's probably the best fight mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, I think, but and, oh, you just I, hit on something there that I felt like this movie in some ways was solid in some ways it failed in some ways it was good. The one thing this movie was not at any point during it was fun. Yeah, there was, no, I'll give you that. Yeah, I, when you say on the exhilarate, I was and I was actually watching that during the fight. I was watching it. I was like, yeah, this is a good fight. There's stuff that's being done well. I'm not a, even in the even in the theater. I'm not on the edge of my seat because fun doesn't just need to mean that. Oh, we don't care about the consequences or anything. Like at the end of X two, when everything is going down and everything, and there's all sorts of stuff, you know, and there's weight to things that are happening. I'm on the edge of my seat and I'm having fun feeling it. Um, there was no fun to this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, pretty, the, 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 uh, the very hey, first well, we scene get to see in Wolverine the danger cry room. again, we get to see Wolverine cry. That's fun. Isn't it? That's what Wolverine does is he, he, he weeps cause someone d- died again. Like, okay. I felt the it. one with the professor. I, I felt the scene with the professor actually worked. It wasn't too long. It was, you saw him collapsing storm going to him. Um, it, that Storm one was should have okay. been the one collapsing. Storm was with him for years. Wolverine has known him at this point for like six months and was not there for most of the time. Like it's, that's fair. You know, you know, it's that like, and and having him do it here undercuts it when he does it later. You know, if if Wolverine, that is Wolverine also didn't true. cry, if someone said to him, "You don't, you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna shed a tear," and he goes, "It's not my way," and then he does cry at the end, then it means that that would be, that would have made much more sense if Gene, if Gene is the only one who gets him to cry, essentially. Yeah. Ah. Uh, anyway, so so he's yeah. dead. No, Some you're stuff. you're right. That would have been a much better scene. It's not that the scene, at least for me, it's not that the scene was painfully bad. But you're right. It would have made much more sense if Storm collapsed. And if Wolverine were stoic there, like trying to comfort her, but at the same time, clearly, you know, stoic. So some stuff happens. Let's just go to the final fight. Some stuff happens. And then Magneto, for reasons, goes, they go to San Francisco to where the cure is. um, And instead of, you know, eliminating, like showing in, showing up. And and breaking into Al- Alcatraz Island, which is evidently not that hard to do, and just killing the kid, because that was the plan, right? Break in, kill the kid. Mm-hmm. He decides instead to go to the Golden Gate Bridge, pick it up, carry it across the San Francisco Bay, and is he, like, putting it 
in between Alcatraz Island and like Fisherman's Wharf? Like, is he just laying it down so people can travel to Alcatraz? Is it symbolic of something? I think that was the that was that was the one that really bugged me. It was like, okay, using the bridge as a way to ferry to using the bridge as a way to send a message. And at the same time, ferry his own gang of mutants across to Alcatraz. That part made sense. The thing that didn't make sense was why drop the bridge down where it still has access to the mainland? Because that's how. Because so essentially, it's like we're going to drop. I'm that's how the military gets there. So yeah, exactly. I'm going bridge. to I'm going to drop it down in a way that deli- that leaves my flank open to be vulnerable to reinforcements. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! No, if he had just ripped up a if he had just ripped up a section of the Golden Gate Bridge and ferried them across with that section and then crashed it down on Alcatraz, so we still it's see dumb. the smoking ruin of the Golden Gate Bridge, and then we see a piece of the Golden Gate Bridge jutting out from Alcatraz. That would have worked, uh, I guess. <laughs> it, but it's still why it has no no meaning of any kind. But okay, fine. He attacks. Now, in, you know, I talk about not wanting to be distracted by stupid bullshit. This is one thing I don't understand. It is clearly, clearly midday when they're on the Golden Gate Bridge going across the bay. And they step off the the bridge and it is nighttime. No, you're right. And I am furious. That is that the, the bridge going across the bay. That's a digital shot. They could have made it any time they wanted. But clearly, mm-hmm. it looks better for the trailer if the bridge is going across the bay in, during the daytime. And who cares? So it's nighttime now. You know, And yeah. it reminds me, I don't know if you've ever seen Kung Pao enter the fist. Where they're cutting between mm-hmm. two pieces of footage. He's like, your clothes are red. Your clothes are blue now. Your clothes are blue. <laughs> I am a sorcerer. <laughs> your clothes are red. Yeah. Uh, and again, it is one of those, at the very least, hand wave it by saying hey there's a mutant who can block out the sun there yeah. i mean yeah, but it, it still is, is uh, it's still a little deus ex machina but at least it then has some kind of a cohesion yeah it is it is and it's if it were the only problem if this were a great movie and that happened i'd be laughing at haha and then move on but really mm-hmm. it's just amateur it's just amateur hour at this point here's magneto's plan here's magneto's plan Take all of the mutants with long range powers and stand them far away while you take all your brawler mutants and have them run out forward. And the X-Men have showed up. Here's the X-Men's plan. Stand in a line. Stand in a perfect line. And fight the brawlers. Magneto will tell his long range powered mutants not to fire their long-range powers until all of the short-range mutants are dead. That's his plan. Yep. That's his plan. Why? Why? Because he plays chess. He plays chess. You know how we've shown as chess is the big thing between him and Xavier. It's important. The last shot of the whole movie is going to be a chess piece. Chess is so important. Mm-hmm. In chess, you let the in chess you let the pawns go first, and so he does that. Then they all die, and he laughs and says, "And that's why in chess you let the pawns go first. It's mm-hmm. a, again, it's a that is completely joke. antithetical to yeah, that's a completely antithetical to Magneto's character in two who ways. One, who, he cares about mutants, and two, he's not a fucking idiot. <laughs> Sorry, 
I'm so sorry. I think that was the first f bomb that you dropped. That's impressive. I warned We've you guys it, uh... at the. I warned you guys at the beginning of the show. It's no, fair so... No, I'm. I, I'm not. I'm not judging you for the f bomb. I'm actually saying I'm impressed that you made it this far. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. So, can we just say, one, uh, the juggernaut who is not Australian, but fine, is chasing Kitty Pride, gets trapped, and says. Knew who I am? I'm the juggernaut, bitch! Now, let me explain. Right around this time is, is when the internet kind of got good enough for us to start sending videos to each other a lot. It's the kind of the dawn of YouTube is right around this, this moment here. Um, and somebody had taken all the juggernaut scenes from the X-Men animated series and, and um, redubbed them in a very it's actually a very funny video you can walk it up where where like everybody's just sort of being ridiculous and 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 they're making everyone stupid but then then everything all the juggernaut ever says i'm the juggernaut bitch i mean like that's he's that's oh really i didn't even know i didn't know about the meme i just even when i first saw the first theater it got millions of views this thing so what this Mm -hmm. is is an easter egg for people who liked that funny video because it was right. Oh, at that's this a time. shame. Because because not knowing that the the thing is, is yeah no the juggernaut is not Australian uh, in the comics. That being said, I liked this character of the juggernaut. Like just as a standalone, if this movie were the only you know were the only X Men thing, um, I thought he was a fun character. And I'm the juggernaut bitch. Fit with the rest of that character's personality. Except it was delivered now, so. It was so presentational. It was it was the same thing as Obi Wan Kenobi meet Anakin Skywalker. Pause. Now and that's now no. I it did seem like there was something that seemed a little bit off in the delivery. But again, you know, not to any major degree. However, now knowing that that's an internet meme, had I known that, yes, the presentational nature of it would have screamed out they're, at me. I they're literally holding for applause. They're holding for applause for him to go. <laughs> right uh, <laughs> so so i do feel after... like i liked the the aside, that thing aside which is shameless pandering um the conflict like that little that moment between kitty and juggernaut where she's i mean that was kind of cool it's a cool shot of her running phasing through walls and him just bashing through them behind yeah her. i like that and then it was cool and it was cool tactics using leech to to essentially, you know, to taunt him into rushing towards them and then knocking himself out. Like, all of that was, I was like, hey, that's the kitty pride that I know who is, you know, who is about protecting people and also uses her smarts. Um, uses her smarts and her like, powers. Like her powers that she's so terrified about because if she phases somebody halfway through a wall, the molecules all get mixed together and it will kill them. You know that part of I'm her not power? A- well, that's that. But again, that's that's just from the comic. We can't uh, we can't bring that aspect in. Here's the thing, though. That's the way her power works. Like, even if you were to sit down without a comic, go, how do you think her power? How do you think Kitty's powers work? How do you think they work? It's they're right. mutant powers. That's at the end of the I mean, at the end of the like day, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to midichlorian Kitty Pride's powers. I'm not. All right. So here's here's the thing. I am. And I'm going to say that, again, if it was the only thing. But there's like, just like Rogue's power at the beginning of of the movie, 
it's just it's yet another thing it's it's you know some of this is is egregiously i know you love when i use the word unforgivably bad um you know magneto's plan is unforgivably bad um but this is another ding this is another death by a thousand paper cuts of of you know wouldn't he be phased out why is it now night instead of day that it's it's all these little things too that are annoying you know the the the, the snow in new york thing annoying on top of being and i think that's the thing you know so wait what's what's the thing that so what's the thing that bothers what what was the thing about kitty pride's powers that bother you in this film all right so in the comics it's a big deal the way her powers work is she spreads her molecules across like apart and she can like move them through other molecules at one point she gets injured to the point where her molecules keep spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading and there's a question about whether or not she's going to fade into nothingness um Mm-hmm. The the danger of her powers is a lot like using the transporter in Star Trek, that if she goes solid, if she's underground or something and she goes solid while she's underground, it will, of course, kill her because all of the molecules will be all put in together at the same spot. You know what I mean? It'll right. Be like, it, it'll mm-hmm. be like it'll be as if you've poured you've poured concrete into every orifice of her body inside. It's like she would just be immediately uh-huh. dead. But in this movie, she phases Juggernaut halfway through the ground, and the ground has just formed around him. He can just bust out of it and start running again. Whereas that should ah, uh, I him see in that half. moment. Okay, yeah. And and again, on its own, I would be like, okay, whatever. It's different in the movies, but mm-hmm. it's interesting. You, you know when, like, you know, we both have married a very long time, but you know when you like are dating someone, and you've fallen out of love with them, and you're thinking about breaking up with them. And all of their little eccentricities start becoming really annoying. Mm-hmm. That's what these little dings are. The huge shit that makes has perfect. Happened. No, that's a good. That's a good the, way of ex- describing it. It's the giant. The if I didn't hate this movie up to the point where Magneto has the stupidest plan in the world, I hate it now. And so every little thing, mm-hmm. the the juggernaut bitch, the the everything, and especially rewatching it, the stuff early, it's all annoying the hell out of me at this point. And this is just another thing. So okay, let's get to the end. Uh, Wolverine and, and Jean, what'd you think of Wolverine mm-hmm. and Jean, sir? Um, okay, so if we're again thinking in terms of a let's let's assume that we have been watching a good movie up until this moment, a movie where what we saw, a movie that really just focused on Dark Phoenix because that is a complex character development that really needs to have some time devoted to it, where we saw much more of a conflict throughout of Gene. And we saw Gene, you know, vibrant, joyful, filled with life because the very thing, the very thing that, uh, you know, that makes her powerful and that makes her dangerous in small amounts, is actually quite wonderful. That sense of joy and desire and lust for life. Again, I'm going by what the by what the professor had described by you know this character who is desire and joy and rage. Um, Can we also so we on the other that. half of this pretend that we've seen a movie also that makes us feel anything for Wolverine, other than the fact that he's yes. Wolverine? Yeah. So um, yeah, that's true. A movie that has a movie that does not rely on the previous two films for us to feel about Wolverine. Um, so we have that. And so now we've gotten to a point where she has completely lost control of her care of her powers, or she feels dark Phoenix starting to truly take over. Um, we see her and now here's the crucial thing. Um, we see her being able to disintegrate things 
but not nearly as quickly and as easily as she's able to do in this to do in this scene. But it's more just sort of like we've seen her do it once as a slow thing. And maybe there's an indication that as she becomes more and more powerful, that will become easier and easier. Then we have, you know, Logan realizing he is the only person who can stop her because at the rate with which she is disintegrating things, he can actually regenerate to... Or So essentially we have Logan doing the same thing where he's step by step, he's moving closer to her, and we see his flesh peeling off and then coming back on again. When done and executed right, that's a tremendously powerful moment. I can see in my head how that would really, really work. Um, the, the tragedy of Logan realizing it's not just that Gene has to die. It is that literally I am the only one who can do it. When executed right, that is phenomenally powerful. If it isn't, so what I saw in that was I had two major issues with it. The first was that that tragic moment was not earned by the rest of the film. And the second was that um, the logical cohesion of that tragic moment was undercut by making it so effortless for her to be able to disintegrate other people that she clearly would have been able to overwhelm his regenerative powers. You fix those two things. And you have an amazing moment. I agree with you. Um, I want to go back to a comment I made during the first X-Men movie that I said I would bring up at this point. Remember mm-hmm. when Remember when Wolverine is thrown out of a truck and is unconscious for a day? Yeah. Remember that? The first movie? He's thrown out of a truck and he wakes up in the X-Mansion and he's unconscious for like a whole day mm-hmm. because he was thrown out of a truck. Now... Wolverine can literally be hit by the full force of the Phoenix power and live. It's mm-hmm. oh know, heck! It's remember just, when X Men Two? Remember when X Men Two? He was shot in the head and got knocked out for thirty seconds. Yeah. Um. I uh, remember how in this movie she's vaporizing entire groups of people like in a second, like they're gone. Mm-hmm. Effortless. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, it. That's that's the lo- that's where the logical cohesion falls apart. Now, do you I'm want me about. to fill in that she's her heart's really not in it for Wolverine? How about have Jean uh, take over? How about have Jean take over that, and and say like she says, "Kill me" when he's finally like up in her face. What if he like she stops all of it and just lets if it's it. more cl- or yeah, oh, if it's more clear throughout it. You know, so maybe she does have the disintegrate powers at that level. But then it becomes very clear that she's fighting it really, really hard for Logan. Yeah. You could do that too, and that would work. Yeah. Nothing about it works. Up to mm-hmm. and including Wolverine weeping at the end. He's we- he's wept before. Mm-hmm. It's not Hugh Jackman's fault. He's an astounding actor. Um, mm-hmm. This just is, at this point. This is, this is weep number three for him. I'm done with that. Um, so... Some more stuff happens. Storm is headmistress. McCoy is now ambassador to the UN. Um, and Rogue- man, I will tell you, this ending, this ending was rushed. We don't even get a co- yeah. What we get is a montage of this is where the characters are now. What we don't get is any kind of conversation about anything that would – even in X2, like when we were discussing X2 – we weren't exactly thrilled with the conversation at the end where it was like, why did Gene do that? And Xavier was like, well, because I guess she made a choice. And I was like, what kind of a stupid answer is that? But at least they had a conversation about what they just went through. We needed yeah. more of a denouement than this. 
if they had Absolutely. just added three minutes. And by the way, this of movie was only conversation. Uh, this movie is only an hour and forty four minutes long. You could have had five. This more. movie was like forty five minutes shorter than X two. Like, yeah. we had clearly shown we were willing to sit through longer. Give us more time with our X-Men, please. Um, I do yeah. feel like by the end of this, so these are... On the other hand, you know, I was really ready the for same it to degrees. be done, so I'm not, I'm not like, sad that it was short. I was like, good, it's done. Well, but, yeah, but if, if you see it through the, say, if you see it through the course of the entire saga, like, okay, Lord of the Rings... There's definitely an argument to be made that Return of the King had more than one too many endings on it. But there's also part of me that's just like, you know what? I'm glad they fell off the horse on this side because I've been following these characters for three years and they've got a place in my heart now. Yeah, let's draw out this ending. I'm okay with that because I don't want to let them go quite yet. Um, The X-Men characters, while not being to that same degree... We've had two films with a lot of these people before. They deserve more of a send-off than a quick 30-second quick cut. And then the, I mean, the slow pullback of Wolverine out on the balcony there, you know, slowly pulling back and showing the whole school, that's a great moment if you've had four minutes at least of real conclusion. It, again, this was a moment that in itself was great, and completely unearned because they did not give us the the denouement that these characters after three films deserved. Yeah. Um I I I totally agree with you. Um the idea that Xavier's still petering around in someone else's head, this is never ever going to be explained, by the way, guys. Just so you know. Mm-hmm. Xavier yeah. is just going to be back later. This is back. This is Fred. This this is Freddy coming back to life at the end of every Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, but here's the thing: in the it's other Nightmare on Elm Street, it's the equivalent of a jump scare. Let me let me let me give this to you. Freddy comes back to life um, for reasons in Nightmare on Elm Street three. For reasons in Nightmare or no, not in in three. In three, he's just powerful. But in four, his coming back is for a reason. In five, his coming back is for a reason. They at least justify his return freddy freddy versus jason is for a reason there is no reason they will never ever oh, no, the, ever tell you the, why no, the reason made com- the reason made complete sense to me professor xavier had hit that up at the beginning he said being able to transfer your consciousness from one yeah but you know, what if i'm I saying is that patrick stewart con- is in the next movie in a wheelchair patrick stewart's in in a wheelchair in days of future past he's 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 back everyone has their power well, yeah, I, I i yeah i'm not even thinking it Yes, no that that part I, I'm not even thinking about Days of Future Past because with Days of Future Past, by its by its very definition, you are dealing with futures and timelines and things getting fine. Like, at the end of Days at of the Fu- end of the the Wolverine, he shows up and he's it, it's what I'm saying. They, again, I'm they not ne- even again not even thinking in terms of the other films. All I'm talking of in that moment, it is at least justified why they provide a clear reason. Or, or not reason. They provide a clear explanation for how he was able to come back. Here's There's the no, no. They, they no, never they, take. I, I, I'm going I'm to modify what you said. They provide a path back. They provide an open door through which you can walk that can have him come back to life. You know, like Spock at the end of of Star Trek Two. You show the things there on the Genesis planet. You go, hey, there's a way back. If you want to bring him back, mm-hmm. here's a way back. The the tragedy of this film, well, it's one of the tragedies of this film, is as they go to other films, 
you never see him walk through the door or take that path. You just see him back and they don't ever even mention that he was well, dead. That ever again. That I think could potentially be that I honestly think could be for the same reason why Highlander 3 never makes mention of Highlander 2. Um sometimes they would, you know, when because this movie was poorly received even when it came out, I think the people there were thinking, look, rather than trying to explain a lot of the bad decisions that were made in X3, I think our audience will forgive us if we just ignore some on. of those things. Let's now, just move now, on. Yeah, let's move on. Now, granted, that would have been – so in Days of Future Past, we don't care because Days of Future Past is a great film. So we're actually like, yes, we're very glad that you moved on from X3. Now, with you know X-Men Origins, uh, Wolverine – we get a well. When we said we wanted you to move on from X three, we didn't want you to. We didn't mean we wanted you to move on to other stupid decisions. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, so we reached this point. Oh, I want to mention one more thing: is that uh, is is um, at the time of this recording, we're recording this in uh, March of twenty eighteen. But you guys probably aren't going to be hearing it um, until a little bit closer to the summer. So we're going to be coming up uh, um, by the time you guys are hearing this, right on X Men Dark Phoenix. Which is coming out? That's this right. Summer. Um, and we'll be able I, to see. Do they do it better? Based on X, based on X Men Apocalypse, I am, I am not. Uh, my hopes are not up. I am. Yeah, but X Men Apocalypse nobody... is Brian Singer, who is sort of lost his way, and they know that X Men Apocalypse didn't work, and they know why. Mm-hmm. And then they made Logan, and Logan was astounding. So Logan was astonishingly good. Yeah. So maybe so so all both of those things happened. X-Men Apocalypse came out didn't do that well and didn't do that well and um and people didn't like it and then they made Logan and it did super well and people loved it. So maybe mm-hmm. they're at a point where they go, "Okay, we know where our balance needs to be." Um and Brian hey, there will be off. nobody more th- I I don't have the best feeling in the world about it, but there will be nobody more thrilled than me to be proven wrong on that. Yeah. Um so, uh, as we always do, we get to the end and we uh, and we rate this on a scale of one to five, with uh, with uh, three being just fine, five being uh, not just uh, good but important, and one being reser- reserved for uh, not just a bad movie but uh, destructive. So, uh, where would yeah. you place uh, X three? Oh man, I am so. Upon finishing the film yesterday, I was like, oh, this might almost be a three. Like, in the sense that I was watching it, I was just like, ah, it's fine. Um, Taken completely out of context, if I had never seen any of the first two films or anything like that, I would give this film a three. I didn't, like, it didn't thrill me. I didn't hate it. I would have walked out of the theater saying, ah, okay. Um, Based on what we have discussed, um, and especially recognizing that uh, to a certain degree, I can't take it out of context of those first two films. Um, I would probably give this one a, I'd give this one a two. Okay. Here comes the moment, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, no, no, no. This is, I, I had a feeling we were, we were getting to this moment. All right. This is not the worst X-Men movie. I'll put that right out there. I think we'll be doing that in a few months. The worst X-Men movie. Um, I don't even know if, if this is worse than X-Men Apocalypse. I've only seen that once and I really need to see it again. 
to to galvanize mm-hmm. my thoughts on. I remember there are things that I liked about it and things that I strongly disliked about it. Um, this is by far not the worst comic book movie where we're going to talk about. We're going to be talking about the Dolph Lundgren Punisher at one point. You know, we're going to be talking about not, Supergirl. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um. Uh. So, and it doesn't have anything that is, you know, overtly offensive to like to the world you know what i mean it's not like you know Mm -hmm. for the reasons that you pulled down the crow um because you think that there might be reasons to be concerned about the messages that it's conveying and stuff this doesn't have that Mm -hmm. this is you know no but But i'm getting the sense that on a personal level it does for you well it's and not just for me i'm going to give this movie a 1.5 um okay and I'm going to reserve somewhere out there. We will get to a movie that I give a zero where I don't even put it on mm-hmm. there where I go. This movie is, you know, you know, this movie is, is, is bad for the world and it should, you know, the reason I'm giving mm-hmm. I think the movie's a two on its own. I think the movie is, um, has no excuse. It had $210 million Oscar winners in the role. Um, um, writers who knew better, um, and I think it was overconfident and said, you know, we can just do it. I think that it was a it was a thumbing the nose to a certain point, like giving fans Easter eggs and thinking that that's going to be good enough for them um, mm-hmm. and that, all of that. That all makes sense. Um, the reason I pull it down from a two to a one point five, if, if, if a movie is a one because it is actively destructive, this isn't actively destructive to society. But this is actively destructive to comic book movies and to the X-Men franchise. Um, The X-Men franchise will never recover from this film. It will never fully recover from this film. First Class, which we're going to talk about, which I love, is good in comparison to this film. Um, In the same way Mm -hmm. that Logan is good, but especially in comparison to X-Men Origins. Um, This film becomes a benchmark by which you measure whether or not the X-Men movies were good. Whereas the Marvel Cinematic Universe, to this point, you can go, well, you got Thor the Dark World and you got, you know, the Incredible Hulk, but mostly it's all pretty good and, co- you know, cohesive. This is the point where mm-hmm. they started going, you know what, we're throwing out rules, we're just doing whatever. Um, yeah, because Thor, uh, Thor Dark World, from my recollection to it, it certainly wasn't a thrilling film, but at the same time, it didn't... Like, there was nothing about it that made me just, like, angry because it, you know, betrayed characters that had been pre-established or felt, you know, or the logical cohesion didn't fall apart in places. It just wasn't as... This movie could have galvanized the original X-Men trilogy as being spectacular. It was all there for you after X2. This could have been enormously great. And what it did is it it pulls down the first two movies. It pulls them down. It, yeah, it, it effectively, it undoes the goodwill. Um, to, it makes the other movies worse. So for that reason, I'm going to pull it from a movie that is a two. Um, and it's, it's a two, you know, it, you can't rate, you know, this the same way you would rate a, a truly independent. You got to rate it based on, on the playground it's playing in, right? And this is yeah, playing based the on the resources playground. they had available with. And yeah. yeah, this is playing in the blockbuster playground. Um and in that playground, this is a two um, in the context of the fact that it pulls other movies down. It's not just incompetent. It's um, it's 
it's not only being damned for how bad it is, but by for how good it's not. Um, mm-hmm. and and yeah, one point five. Um, honestly, in that you need to know that Gene dies because it comes up. Nothing else in this movie is necessary for any of the other X Men yeah. movies. Do they literally oh. what what happened to Magneto and Xavier? They just write. They just say no, it didn't. They don't even say why. Yeah, it's just no, it didn't. They're all totally one hundred percent back to exactly how you would expect them to be. They're hey, fine. While I'm thinking of it, though, and I agree with all of that. There's one more lost opportunity that I really wanted to talk about, or something, because it really just sure. jumped out at me as a. Um, much like with the Professor Xavier thing, when I talk about jump scare is not the word for it, but it's just like the the gratuitous the gratuitous twist. Um, the fetishization, the fetishization this, of the twist. Yes. Um, finishing this film with, you know, the camera zooms in on a chess um, on, you know, on a park and a bunch of old men playing chess and one old man sitting alone at a chessboard, which already carries a bleak, tragic weight to it. And we see him trying to move the metal chess piece. Now, I'm going to tell you the, to my mind, the right way to end that scene to give it some real serious weight is you see him trying to move the chess piece and nothing moves. And then maybe you just cut up to his face or you just have a moment. There is just an exhalation of breath. And then the camera pulls back. Like that is tragic. That is such a heartbreaking end to a character who, yes, while he is a villain, we've always to some degree kind of sympathized with. Like, that would be a real, that would, um, you know, maybe not after the movie that we'd just seen, but again, had it been a good movie up to that point, ending it that way would have been incredible. Instead, what we see is him trying to move the chess piece, and, oh, look, it just starts moving, and then we cut. That infuriated me. Here's the thing. I would have been also, okay with if it was just that, but that plus the thing with the professor at the end, the two together is mm-hmm. is bridge too far. Well, the a other bridge, reason why it infuriated too, me is because a Golden Gate bridge too far. Yeah. <laughs> a uh, the the other reason why it infuriated me because you know in terms of nullifying things like the the actual aspect of this movie that worked, the storyline aspect of this movie that worked was we have a cure. What are all the implications of that? In that moment, at the end, it says, oh, actually, it's not a cure. It can be reversed. And the instant that you make it reversible, you wipe out all of the really, you know, all of the interesting conversation points that they actually did a pretty good job of introducing throughout the whole film. And they wiped it all out for the sake of a, oh, look at that. Look at that. Look, yeah, but, it but moved. But don't you it remember, moved. don't you remember in the next X-Men movie where somebody needs Magneto, so they use the fact that it's not a cure to help bring him back. And then Rogue has to deal with the Flowers for Algernon style return of her powers as she's just starting to settle into being able to be intimate. And then it's a tragedy. Oh, God, you you're right. They, that was... How, how they spent a that long time talking about or even mentioning the cure ever again. Yeah, that would have been a great film. Yeah. Uh, so would this if it were yeah. vastly different than the film we got. Okay. I think mm-hmm. we've said everything. Although I will say about. there is uh, there is one. By the, by the way, so those of you uh, might not know. So Justin has been a uh, 
uh, a pretty successful indie director of his own. He's created some Thank great you. films. Uh, you know, the oh, first of which I've was made, called... I've uh, made Nin- some films, at least. Yeah, you've made some films, yes. All right. To what degree are you okay with me giving spoilers of those films? Fine, go for it. Okay. All I'm saying is when I saw the moment where Wolverine got... Uh, got thrown at Magneto and Magneto was like, don't you ever learn? And Wolverine was like, yes, I do actually. And then Beast comes from behind and stabs him. I was just like, huh. So really all Wolverine was trying to do in that moment was just to hold his attention so that somebody could sneak up behind. Justin did learn one thing from this film. Oh, I learned That's I all. learned some things to do and many things not. Not to, to do. do. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean... Uh, Whatever. That's X3, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, let's tell That's X3. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, no, oh, no. We, got, we, 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 we can't end beaten than that. Fine, let's yeah, let's fine. remember the fact Justin. that. My name is Justin. Oh, my God. You are my killing me, man. My name is Angry here, Justin. Hey, let's, dude, dude, it's a 2018. Black Panther just came out. It was wonderful. The, it you know, was wonderful. Deadpool was Infinity great. We're looking War forward to Deadpool. Too. Superhero too, movies survived this. Yes. We, we lived. We lived. Yay. We made it through. We made it through. Let's never speak of this again like the rest of the X-Men series never does. Uh, All right, my friends. Story. I'm Arthur. And, and hey, true stay believers. Stay super. <laughs> All right. Good. Done. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. Search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment.